0: Hello, and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes, and I am your host. And today we are joined, as always, by Luke Boggs. Luke, how's it going? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Also, joining us today is Megan Payne. Megan, how are you?
1: Hey, I'm really tired, but otherwise, I'm great. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it sounds like uh, both you and Luke were at Sunny die until late last night. And then uh, back on the podcast for the first time in a little while, we are so excited to have her back. Jessica Salaji, a writer at all dot com. Jessica, thanks for coming back on the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Um, So on today's episode, we are recording the day after sine die, the day after the conclusion of the state legislative session. And so we are going to do our annual The Good, the Bad and the Ugly episode, where we break down everything that happened and take a look back uh, at the good bills, the bad bills, and as the name would suggest, the ugly bills as well. So that is going to be the format for the show today. But first, I'm interested in from from Megan and Luke, who were at the Capitol last night. Um, Can you just tell us a little bit, uh, Megan, can you start and just tell us a little bit about what the environment was like at the Capitol as this thing wrapped up?
1: Sure. So Siney die was actually a pretty just business-like environment from what I encountered. It's just a lot about wrapping up business and getting it done. There was kind of a jovial atmosphere. Everyone kind of seemed excited to be finishing things up and seeing them through. Um, But it wasn't... Tense, or um, you know, maybe a little bit of stress because there was a deadline, but there weren't any really contentious bills that were brought up, and that sort of thing. At least, not not that I witnessed. So,
0: Luke, what did you think?
3: I've been to a lot of Sony Dies, and this is, I think, like, the most boring one I've been to. This <laughs> one was just, like, really... Like, all the big contentious stuff had already happened or was dead, I feel like. And, like, the airport was kind of up in the air. And then as far as, like, big stuff, the... Uh, medical marijuana issue was still kind of like we're you know it was like it seemed like everyone was really trying to get that one done but besides that like I would second Megan and just like everybody seemed like yeah like you know like we did you know good session happy this is almost over let's wrap up these last couple bills and get out of here
0: Jessica, you and I were both covering this, uh, the end of this session from afar. Uh, I'll be honest. I didn't even make it to the end of the night when signing die was called, um, because it seemed like the most contentious stuff had already been taken care of. Um, but what were your takeaways, Jessica, from uh, the last day of session?
2: I would agree that it was definitely pretty boring. I think it was almost lunch before they had a rules calendar, which had like four or five bills on it. And I think all in all they voted on, Maybe twelve bills that hadn't been brought out before, and for the most part, other than the school safety one, they were pretty mellow, so it was it was very different from years past, but I think people from who weren't there were pleased that it's about to be over because it's been a miserable session, yeah
0: <laughs> it's yeah, it's just been like disorganized and. It's been exhausting to watch. I'm I'm sure it's exhausting for the lawmakers. But just watching on the live stream, I was ready for bed before the day even really began. Um, Megan, you were there for some of the biggest moments of this legislative session. I think you were there for crossover day, right? And for some Mm -hmm. of the debate on uh, HB 481, and then and then there at sine die. What did you think of the difference between some of these big peaks of session like crossover and in the wrap up tonight?
1: So, speaking as a total newbie to all of these, this is my first uh, session to really be any kind of involved, Uh, or at least with legislation. I definitely found crossover day to be way more intense. I mean, that was when HB 481 had to make it through the House of Representatives, or it probably wasn't going to make it through session at all. And so, I think everyone especially while I was there it was just like desperately holding out hope that it wouldn't. So it was very emotionally charged, a whole lot of energy. Um, and then, you know, as compared to signing die, like we already talked about, it was, you know, signing die was a little bit boring compared to
2: that.
0: Let's dive in a little bit on some of the specifics of what actually happened. And it was really the ugly stuff to me that caught most of the headlines this legislative session, particularly HB 481. In in Ben's absence, I will say that he probably would not put this in the ugly category. And, and you could guess that after listening to him uh, this session. But I think for those of us on the panel tonight, this was not the most uplifting and positive thing the legislature did. It, it was pretty much the opposite. Um, but Jessica, we haven't had a chance to talk to you about this bill yet this session. Um, So what were your thoughts on the big legislative priority of a Republican majority being a near total ban on abortion in the state of Georgia?
2: Um, as a recovering Republican who's now a libertarian, I was livid. I felt it was unnecessary and totally just out of, I mean, there wasn't really an argument over the abortion laws in Georgia. And they just made a, they started a fight for no reason. And the legal fees that are going to come from this and, from everything like even aside from your positions on abortion i i'm just dumbfounded that as the courts continue to overturn these laws in other states and block them i mean north carolina blocked 20 weeks recently um that georgia would continue on with this and i think the fact that there still are exceptions shows that this is more about like political pandering than it is about i mean i'm thankful for the exceptions that are there don't get me wrong but um I think it's more about political pandering than any real reform because they know this is not going to reduce the number of abortions that are occurring.
0: Megan, despite the fact that 481 was not on, there wasn't really any legislative business on it on the final day. Um, There was a demonstration at the Capitol, Alyssa Milano, uh, who's a Hollywood movie star. She uh, delivered, um, I think it was a letter or something to governor Kemp, uh, Saying, uh, signaling the displeasure of, of Hollywood um, and threatening that Hollywood actors and productions would no longer work in Georgia over this bill if Governor Kipp ultimately signs it. Um, but Democrats, this was uh, reported in AJC, Democrats, Democratic legislators were largely absent from these demonstrations, uh, particularly because they were focused on uh, whether or not uh, the movie industry was going to boycott Georgia. And that was a place that. Uh, that was a a movement that Democrats didn't appear to want to be connected to. What did you make of uh, the action on 481 on that final day?
1: Well, Alyssa Milano was there along with, like you said, um, a bunch of people, and also the Handmaids were there. Um, there's a group that dresses up as um, Handmaids from The Handmaid's Tale. There were just throughout the day, there were a couple of different things that happened, and my take on it was that it was necessary. I'm so I, I, I guess I shouldn't say it was necess- necessary. I am. I have mixed feelings on having Alyssa Milano come down here and say, "Hey, boy, boycott Georgia," because ultimately that's not any good for any of us who live in Georgia. A lot of the state's income is based on that. But at the same time, if that's what it takes to make a point that women's rights are human rights and that women's rights shouldn't be taken away by the Georgia General Assembly, then. I guess that that's what needs to be done. So good on her for doing it. Super emotionally charged for a lot of people around, especially me. And um I just I don't really know what else to say other than it's really tough to see Georgia in this position, potentially either hurting women or losing money, or both. Actually likely both.
0: Yeah, not not good options that uh our lawmakers have decided to take up here. Luke Democrats pretty quickly positioned themselves as the new party of business in Georgia. They pointed not only to the abortion bill, but also to the fight over the jet fuel tax, um, which was initially a tax cut that was intended to favor Delta. At one point became a tax increase on Delta. Um, But it was all under this umbrella of Democrats are not the ones patronizing the economic interests of the state where Republicans are. What, I mean, what do you think of that? positioning by state Democrats.
3: I think that's a perfectly reasonable position to take in you know the sense that if you look at any state that is a blue state that, you know, Democrats are in the majority, like they have relationships with businesses uh, in the state and you try to can you know have positive relations with that. So the the question is not like can you ever help business or not? It's not a binary. It's you know, you have to build relationships with both business and workers, and I think you know the Georgia Democratic Party uh, is right to reach out to business and try to help uh, you know represent them as long as they are also working to represent the workers.
0: Jessica, do you think that this bill is ultimately going to cost Republicans electorally? I mean, we've talked a lot on this show about my thought that it might, that this might be a turning point, uh, particularly as you look to the 2020 elections, which are an election that comes right before the redistricting cycle. Um, But Republicans don't seem deterred by the fact that they might lose seats over this. Um, What do you think the political outcome is going to be for Republicans because of this bill?
2: I think you're going to see Republicans continue to lose seats in Cobb and Gwinnett and areas in the metro area because of this. I think that I think even the ones who skipped the vote two times in a row, like Brett Harrell and Ron Stevens, I think you're going to see people lash out at them for not taking a position at all. And, you know, down in my area in South Georgia, where it's much more conservative, you had people like Bush Parrish, who actually voted. Um, he's a Republican, long-serving Republican, who voted against the bill. And I think that they you, you might see some turnover there as well. But I think that Republicans are misjudging how poorly this is being received by even moderate conservatives.
3: One one thing I take from this whole fight is I'm frustrated with how little attention all of the female represent- representatives and senators have gotten in comparison to the outside Hollywood folks. Because when I like open the AJC or like open my news app, I see far more of Alyssa Milano than like state senator Jen jorgan or any of the other great representatives that we have that've have spoken up on those issues. And I think they're a far better representation of Georgians and of those issues and like why uh, this bill is inappropriate. And so I think on that on that front you know the AJC has reporters there these you know these videos and speeches are live streamed and it shouldn't be uh, so difficult for them to get as much attention as a Hollywood star that I honestly don't know a single movie she's been in
1: oh she's been in charmed I kind of love her but I kind of hate that she's calling for a boycott of our state very mixed feelings right now
0: well it was interesting because she showed up basically after it was all done I mean You know, demonstrators and activists, they're going to be putting pressure on Governor Kemp to veto this bill, but I don't think any of us are under the illusion that Kemp will ultimately reject this measure, um, because he said on the campaign trail that he would sign the toughest abortion restrictions in the nation. Uh, For some context on the 20-week ban, Georgia has a 20-week ban in place prior to this law going into effect. So the same ban that got struck down in North Carolina is one that may be at risk in Georgia, but... Kemp is coming in to sign a bill that is much more strict than that, um, that is also going to be facing a court challenge. But Alyssa Milano showed up basically after all the action had been done. And Brian Kemp is unlikely to veto the bill. And she sort of turned it into a spectacle in the final hours of session. Um, Which, yeah, Luke, I I agree with you. I think I think it took away a little bit from the message that Democratic women in the House and the Senate were sending. Um, But I don't know, star power. I I mean, I think it would be different if Georgia also did not have generous film tax credits. And so Hollywood is like an industry that is here that, you know, is threatening to pull out over this issue. But it did seem to kind of miss the, the fighting and the the activism that's gone on um, by just everyday Georgians during the session. All right, so let's move on to the airport takeover bill that ultimately wasn't. Um, so this was a bill where the state of Georgia was going to take over authority of the airport from the city of Atlanta, the city of Atlanta had uh, strongly resisted this idea and was and uh, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms was calling on Governor Kemp to, to veto a bill if it ultimately went through or, or to send the message that he was not going to sign something. Um, the airport takeover idea was also not a big hit in the house and ultimately got watered down to an oversight board in the house. Uh, But it ultimately, even that part of it ultimately didn't go through. Megan, what was your takeaway over this fight over the airport?
1: I thought it was completely unnecessary. I've already gone on record on our podcast by saying that I feel like the legislation was essentially throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, there is corruption. I don't think anyone's denying that. But I think that the way to fix it is to resolve some corruption issues, not to completely um, try to revamp the oversight of the airport. So I'm super glad that it ended up not making it through.
0: Jessica, this was a project of I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was a project of predominantly rural legislators. Uh, The study committee in the Senate that looked at this did not have... Um, any representative any senators who represented the area around the airport, and Senator Burt Jones, who is the main force behind this bill, he's not an Atlanta legislator either. Um, what did you make of this being a project of like rural conservatives uh, trying to uh, meddle with operations of an airport in the state's largest city?
2: I think there's a lot of rhetoric down here about trying to fight Atlanta because there's this, still this perception or, or reality, however you, wherever you're sitting, looking at it, of two Georgias, and so I think that there were some rural legislators who wanted to say, like, we're going to stick it to Atlanta, and we're going to take over, and we're going to make sure that we know what they're doing with the money, and and this, that, and the other. But kind of to what Megan was saying, you know, yes, we know there's corruption, but these people who studied and presented this report and offered these solutions didn't have any new mechanisms for oversight. They were just changing who could be privy and party to the corruption. So from that perspective, I didn't, I mean, you're just asking who's going to do it worse. Yes, exactly.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, that was the thing that stuck out to me was that vendors, I mean, a lot of this uh, that is viewed as corruption is vendor vendors, people who supply food and beverages at the airport wanting real estate at the airport to set up shop and, you know, run their business and make money. And they sort of greased, this, greased the skids for those decisions by supporting with campaign contributions the mayor and city council, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms. The current mayor was the largest beneficiary of donations from the uh, vendors and other people interested in the airport uh, during this last mayoral election. Um, but yeah, it wasn't clear that like there wasn't a mechanism in there that would stop the vendors from... Putting in political contributions. So I I did sort of look at the uh, effort here is like, is this really an effort about how can certain legislators connected to the oversight board, or the people who would appoint the people who end up on the the oversight authority, be the ones to ultimately get the benefit of the campaign contributions. It's like a another pot of campaign cash that's out there that uh, could have been secured by this effort. Luke, you have anything on airport takeover?
3: I'm just happy it didn't happen.
0: <laughs> so we're going to pause there for a second. Uh, Megan, I know you got a drop, uh, but thanks for joining the podcast. I know you wanted to give one shout out before you go.
1: Yeah. What's up, YDATL, Young Dems of Atlanta? I'm actually headed to their meeting right now. I'm trying to get to everything I can politically wise, political wise, politically. Politic- uh, anyway, we'll figure it out. All right. Thanks for having me, you guys.
0: Yeah, we'll talk to you later, Megan. Um, So we'll stay with the ugly bills for now. Uh, One of the weirdest things that I thought happened, it happened late in session. It was a bill that was dropped, but that didn't get moved. It didn't get passed by the end of the day. um, Was this proposal to create a journalism ethics board? And Jessica, I know this was something that caught your eye. What was this proposal and and what did you think of it?
2: So Andy Welch, who has been I think in office since 2011. He's a lawyer from Henry County and he filed this bill 734 to create a nine-member journalism ethics board that would be responsible for accreditations and receiving complaints, investigating, sanctioning all the things that other state boards do um and then setting rules and standards for to encourage factual and ethical reporting. Um that part is voluntary. I don't agree with it because I think then you have I mean, journalism and the first freedom of the press is never supposed to be sanctioned by any government entity. But worse than that was the portion that requires um, the media, if you interview someone, to turn over video and audio recordings as well as photographs that you, you collect during an interview um, to at no cost to the person interviewed. And um, if you don't do it, you could be assessed a civil penalty of $100 a day and be sued in court. And I mean... Which is in complete contrast to the Georgia Open Records Act, where we, the media and individuals, have to pay the state to give us their records, but we have to provide our records to them for free. I mean, the whole thing which just makes my blood boil.
0: Yeah, uh, Jessica, well, for listeners, if you're not reading Jessica's reporting on on allonGeorgia.com, you should be. Um, One of the things that I have found most interesting about some of your reporting projects, Jessica, is all of the open record requests you have to file with small local governments down in South Georgia, and some of the fights that you've gotten into over that. How easy have you found it to access open records from state and local governments here in Georgia?
2: It's It's very difficult, like even at the state level, sometimes you have to play hardball because they come back with, you know, a $12,000 estimate and at the local level, you're constantly battling and they're picking words and, you know, trying to find loopholes to what you're saying and giving you the absolute minimum, but they want people in the media to turn over all of the, I mean... That is my intellectual property and my my information that I collect in the duties of my job. I don't think I should be forced to hand that over because somebody wants to look at it.
0: Yeah, it was pretty outrageous, and it, so my understanding is that Andy Welch is actually leaving the legislature uh, by before the next legislative session. But there are other cosigners on this bill. Um, do either of you think that this bill has any legs or was introducing this bill and getting different media outlets to write about it and talk about it just sort of a shot across the bow from people frustrated with their coverage?
3: I I think it's probably a shot across the bow. Uh, I think it's a really weird uh, note for representative Welch to leave on. Uh, And if this bill passed, I cannot imagine uh, many provisions of it being constitutional.
2: Well, you know, You would think that it's one of those things, maybe like Jeff Mollis' Cagle's Law, where he was trying to change Georgia to a one-party consent state. I think that was more of a conversation point and an outrage point. But I was talking to some state representatives today who were contacted by people, other rape representatives, and they said that they were shocked at the blowback they were getting over this bill. I'm like, how can you be shocked? You're trying to regulate the freest industry there is. But they were almost taken aback by the fact that people don't support it.
0: Yeah, it's the it's one industry that gets like a specific shout out in the in the Bill of Rights. Like <laughs> right. it's just like, it, uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't get it either. I you know I actually saw it pop on Twitter in the afternoon and was just like really confused as to what uh what the the idea was here. Um, let's move on to another one of these ugly bills. So the legislature passed a bill that uh, provides protections for Confederate monuments in the state. I'm actually a little unclear what exactly the protections are, but I assume it uh, makes it a criminal offense to like uh, deface or destroy a Confederate monument in the state. Jessica, is this a provision that applies to all monuments in the state, or does it have a specific focus specific on Confederate monuments. And and what did you make of this being another one of the uh, priorities for uh, the majority in the legislature?
2: It's for all monuments on state owned or local government owned property, including like boards of education and everything like that. So it's any government property that has a monument of any kind. Um, As far as it being part of the agenda, I think that it was Jeff Mullis trying to, come up with some sort of campaign slogan mailer that he can put together to refute his not so conservative record in a pretty conservative district. He also has Colton Moore up there, who's um, one of the most no voting legislators on the House side in the same district. And I think that he kind of had to counter voting no, or the fact that he was voting yes all the time and Colton Moore was voting no. So I think that was a combination of things up there.
0: Luke, is this uh, another issue that you think might harm Republicans in elections, or is this one kind of more below the radar in a way that people may not remember this vote?
3: I think this is going to be one of the bills on like a laundry list of reasons why people uh, are unhappy with the current house and Senate majority. I just don't see why we need this. Like I, I haven't seen a lot of reporting on Confederate monuments or any monuments getting damaged in Georgia. And this just seems to me like, this is not an actual issue, similar to the heartbeat bill. This is people trying to make a political statement.
2: Did either of you happen to see um, Josh McLaurin's speech in the well about this when it was on the House floor?
0: I did not. What was in it?
2: He brought up uh, an amazing point. He's a lawyer, so he was able to really dive deep into what the bill's doing. But he was talking about how even as a Democrat, his opposition wasn't to the actual content, but what it does. Um, because, in, unlike all other lawsuits, this will actually allow anyone to sue the person who defaces or moves a monument. So, if you knock a monument over um, in Athens, not only can the city of Athens come after you, but so can I down in South Georgia. So can Luke. So can anyone in the community. And it's just gonna—it could open a floodgate of people who feel that they were wronged by this monument being defaced.
0: Wow, that's so—that's such a strange legal concept. Are we going to have class action lawsuits over uh, the defacement of Confederate monuments?
2: Well, and he articulated it perfectly and then it's still right down party lines. And you're just looking at the voting board and you're like, how, how does this happen?
0: Yeah. Another thing that I thought was ugly towards the end of session was this attempt to delay a subsequent MARTA vote uh, in Gwinnett County. Uh, Basically the Republicans in the Gwinnett County legislative delegation Um, Even though they are a minority of the delegation, they got a provision tucked into a Senate bill that would have uh, prohibited Gwinnett County from having another vote on joining MARTA until like 2026. Um, This was in response to Gwinnett County's Republican Commissioner, Commission Chair Charlotte Nash, uh, starting talk of when a new referendum would be scheduled following the rejection of the referendum earlier uh, last month this was something that ultimately did not come to pass, but the supporters of this measure were hoping that the message that the, that blocking a new referendum would send uh, that hopefully that would be heard by Republicans on the commission. Luke, what did you make of this effort to uh, by state Republicans to try to stop local Republicans from holding another referendum?
3: I think this is just another example of really bad strategic thinking from the uh republicans in the legislature right now and that you know the marga vote seems to be far more of a like they're opposing this for like cultural reasons not uh you know policy reasons and i think this is a decision that should be left with the you know gwinnett county commissioners and the state should not get uh, involved and I, I just i i'm continuously frustrated when republicans scream from the mountaintops local control with the like asterisk unless we disagree
0: yeah well has
2: there ever been another initiative i know that's a broad question but where the state prohibited a local government from doing what they want on the ballot
0: um yeah.
3: In the history of Georgia, I have no idea, but I I, I I cannot think of one off the top of my head, but that doesn't mean there isn't one.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that this is increasingly becoming a part of the toolkit for Republicans in Atlanta to try to exert a little more control over what uh, county governments are doing, particularly ones that are led uh, by Democratic and progressive uh, leaders. I know that the the concern from the... People who did not want another vote to happen was that they felt that turnout, even though it was at like 19%, turnout was much larger than you would expect in a March uh, special election, uh, which was deliberate uh, by the, by the, um, by the commissioner who who scheduled the vote to avoid having the vote coincide with when many of her members were up in the 2018 general elections. Um, but that they felt turnout was high enough that there was enough of a mandate opposing transit that uh, people would not be listening to the will of voters to bring this issue back up. Uh, but if you're so confident that the will of the voters is opposed to transit, I don't really see why you would find another referendum so threatening. So the logic on that one didn't really kind of line up for me. Uh, But let's move on from uh, basically the worst stuff that happened in session and talk a little bit about the good stuff. I actually think uh, despite what was chaotic and, Uh, A session that featured a lot of really ugly stuff. There was actually some pretty good stuff that happened this legislative session. Um, The first thing on my list was uh, Governor Kemp fulfilling most of his promise by uh, passing in the state budget, or he's anticipated to sign a state budget that includes $3,000 raises for teachers. Um, We also have another year of full funding for the education funding formula. This to me is probably something that is going to get lost for a lot of maybe moderate conservatives to moderate Democrats, moderate progressives over, it'll probably be overshadowed by the discussion about the abortion bill. Um, But Luke, what did you think of uh, these teacher pay raises Kemp coming through on a lot of that promise and another year of full funding for education?
3: I obviously think it's great. I mean, fully funding QBE was a big problem for a long time and so I'm happy to see that uh, that was not an election year fluke, uh, you, you know, uh, back in 2018 when we did it. And I'm happy to see that uh, we're able to, um, you know, continue fully funding that. And while Governor Kemp did not get uh, the full teacher pay raise that he's seeking, um, I'm happy, you know, that they've made progress on it. I hope that uh, they continue to consider uh more compensation for all of our state employees because, uh, Georgia state employees remain some of the lowest paid around the entire country. So, uh, happy to see progress made and, you know, keep, keeping it up. And I hope, I hope we see this going forward as
0: well. Jessica, what did you think of the focus on teacher raises?
2: Uh, Obviously I support him fulfilling his campaign promise to do it. I know there was a lot of anger initially when it wasn't the full 5,000 right away. Um, And I think that sometimes like maybe Kemp obviously overpromised the part that there's a contingency that someone else has to actually approve the budget before he can he can just make recommendations. So I think there was a lot of commotion and political rhetoric around it when there didn't necessarily have to be. But I think in the long run, it's good, but was quickly overshadowed not even just by all of the controversial stuff that we talked about, but public education as a whole was just, you know, laser focused on vouchers. So I don't even think after, yeah, they were happy, but after a while, they just said, you know what, we can't even worry about this. We've got to worry about vouchers.
0: Yeah, this was another issue. I, I have this in my my good section because the, the voucher bill ultimately failed. Um, I know other people might see that differently, but I was struck by the voucher conversation that like, was sort of quickly dispatched with uh, earlier in session, and then there was an attempt by voucher supporters to have that brought back up. Uh, There was a second bill that I think was rejected that had vouchers that had a voucher program in it. But I was just struck by the lack of a discussion of evidence around the voucher programs that you've seen evidence in recent years from several states, including Indiana, Louisiana, Ohio, and the District of Columbia, that Students in voucher programs have performed worse on test scores Uh, when they move from a public school, then they get a voucher and use that voucher to go to a private school. Uh, Their achievement goes down, or when you compare their achievement to students who are similar, uh, the achievement in the private school is worse. Um, But this was a priority for conservatives, and and it's one that they've had for multiple years, and it's one that's going to come back up again next year, I'm sure. Jessica... These vouchers are, you know, they're they're the prime policy in the school choice uh, conversation. Uh, But I think that there's a different view in rural Georgia about issues around school choice than there is uh, where choice might actually bring competition in more dense urban centers of the state. How was this voucher discussion heard in rural Georgia?
2: I think for the most part, um, even like the people who attend public or the private schools down here in rural Georgia are adamantly opposed to voucher programs because they understand that the schools need them. I mean, there's even a different conversation in some of these conservative communities about giving um, property tax exemptions to those over 65, just because every dollar counts so much when your tax base is so small. But I think that the voucher initiative is going to hurt some of the Republicans down here who did vote in favor of it. Um, Even though it didn't pass, just because people are livid about it, they feel like it's a betrayal.
0: Another bill that I've got in the bucket of good things the legislature did this session was they banned the shackling of pregnant inmates in uh, correctional facilities in the state. Um, This was an issue that actually uh, despite the rancor over abortion, this was an issue that united progressives and pro-life groups. Luke, what did you think of the legislature getting this done?
3: I think I think it's great. I think it's one of those things that uh, is in the category, like you said, of bipartisan issues where there can be some uh, significant overlap between diverse coalitions. And so it's nice to see that this kind of thing can get done. Uh, you know, Georgia has been complimenting and we've complimented Georgia on this show for uh pushing criminal justice reform forward, but I think like this measure and the fact that this was still a problem in twenty nineteen is a sign that Georgia still has a long way to go and that there's you know plenty of things going on in our jails and prisons that uh, if if shined a spotlight on, I'm I'm sure we would all be uh, equally disgusted as we were with, uh, you know, hearing about the fact that like, we needed to pass a law to prevent this from happening.
0: Yeah, Jessica, I think this was, I think this is a law that's needed to keep facilities from doing this. But if I rather, if I'm remembering the reporting correctly, most all of the facilities in the state don't have policies that allow this. But um, I think the the a committee that heard testimony heard from uh, heard stories of women who had been shackled in in jails or in prisons while they were pregnant.
2: Right. It's kind of one of those things where you would think that people in corrections would be able to use discretion and handle things differently, but I, I guess not. And I was overjoyed to see that it passed unanimously in the House and only one dissenting vote in the Senate, which was Randy Robertson. And he has a background in law enforcement and I respect the whole public safety thing. But I mean, at some point you've got to consider the safety of these, these women and the liability that you're putting the state and their jails at because you, you're shackling women and chaining their feet together when they're tipping over already. So I, I, I was really happy. This was on my good list as well. Even as small and as few people as it actually will impact, I was really happy to see it pass.
0: Um, Another thing kind of in a similar bucket, this had an interesting politics to it. Um, There was a bill that a bipartisan bill passed that uh, requires the state uh, and law enforcement agencies to save evidence from rape and sexual assault cases. Uh, Evidence has to be saved for up to 50 years this was interesting. It, it's a good policy, I, I think, um, but it was also interesting politically because Scott Holcomb, a Democrat from Atlanta, he has been a leader on this issue. And uh, much was made over or there was a lot of press for Representative Holcomb in his disagreement with Senator Renee Unterman over a previous bill dealing with rape kits. Uh, but ultimately, this was a bill, Luke, that uh, both. Holcomb and Renee Unterman led on. Uh, what did you think of that political odd couple getting together?
3: I think it's just a sign of how much Georgia's moved on this issue, that it's and how much you know attention it's gotten. And I, I think it's you know it's good that these two can uh, you know come together and do that. And I think it's also a sign that Renee Unterman is running for higher office and doesn't want to keep getting battered over the head about this issue.
0: Preach. Another big good bill that passed, really, this was one of the bills that was up in the air at the deadline and and an agreement was finally reached was an expansion of access to medical marijuana in the state. Um, The bill allows people who were previously authorized to possess and use medical marijuana, they are now going to be able to purchase it in the state. Um, So I um, I'm a little fuzzy on the details, but I know it authorizes some growers and distributors to set up and start growing medical marijuana, and then allowing people who have licenses to use it to uh, be able to buy it in state instead of getting it from other people they know or transporting it across state lines. Jessica, what did you think of this? What did you think of this breakthrough on this bill? And and is this? Uh, what advocates for expansion of medical marijuana were looking for?
2: Um, I was really surprised to see this be filed this year and moved this year the way that it did. Um, and I know it passed with only 20 minutes to spare, but I mean it still moved fairly quickly. I think the advocates, you know there be they're to be commended. They were there every single day fighting tirelessly and and pushing and working to compromise as much as they could and I think they would have taken I mean, they wanted as much access and as many licenses as they could get, but I think they still would have taken one one grower, one um dispensary, one license just to have the in state access and and know that they don't have to get it on the black market or cross state lines to get it um, and that they can get their continued medical treatment because it's seed to sale tracking that was that's all they wanted, so I think. Yes, they fought for the best possible outcome, but I think they still would have been pleased with less based on what I heard talking to them through the whole process.
0: Luke, this is another one where it seems like consensus may have overpowered the people who oppose expansion of medical marijuana. Um, Earlier in session, a medical marijuana bill passed the House, and it passed with a veto-proof majority, and uh, Governor Kemp got asked about it, and he said... Uh, that he, it was notable to him how much support the bill had, and that uh, his thoughts on the bill may not matter all that much if there's veto proof support for medical marijuana expansions. What do you think of this issue finally like hitting the breakthrough point?
3: I think part of it is the fact that, like, Nathan Deal, I feel like, was one of the big impediments for us getting to this point. And he had a legitimate argument in the sense that he was worried, you know, because when this conversation really started, we had the Obama administration and the Obama Justice Department. And so he was worried a different administration might come in and, you know, start sending the feds down and shutting all these places down. And I think if that was ever going to happen, it would have been with Attorney General Jeff Sessions. And so the fact that it didn't happen then is like, what is your argument <laughs> against this at this point? Because if you're going to allow people to use, uh, you know, these treatments, but you're not going to give them any legal way to get it, I, I you know, that's just that's a completely unreasonable position. So I, I think this is just, you know, all of the previous somewhat legitimate arguments falling by the wayside uh, and, you know, the tireless advocacy of the folks who are affected by this. I think I think that's what's to credit for this.
0: And to wrap up some of the good things that the legislature did this session. Um, so there are new protections for people who are renting. If you rent in a uh, building or in a unit where there's like really significant structural damage, it's like not livable. Uh, Georgia was one of the few states where I don't think you had many legal options if you were living in a in a property that was basically on the verge of being condemned. So there's uh, new protections there. Um, there was a bipartisan support for uh, mandatory dyslexia screening in schools, which uh, a lot of people were happy about. Um, there was a bill passed that now allows citizens of the state to challenge the state's laws by suing the state. Uh, previously the state could not be sued for the laws that it passed um, and then there is the beginning of a push, uh, although I don't think that there was any actual substantive movement on this issue, but there was uh, a bill introduced with a bipartisan list of sponsors to end the death penalty in Georgia. Did y'all want to react to any of those bills in that group?
2: The one I'm the most excited about is the repeal of the death penalty. I think that, I mean, the death penalty, that the approval of it is at an all time low across the country. I think it will be an uphill battle, but. I want to have the conversation. I want to start informing people about the cost and the the miscarriages of justice and the exonerations that are happening. So that of the ones you mentioned, I'm most excited about that one and 311 to allow people to sue their governments because it's sad we have to ask permission to do that.
3: (laughs) I agree. And I think this is just another example of, you know, the reason why, uh, Kyle and I started this show because state politics is really interesting and sometimes, you know, good, reasonable things happen and there's interesting policy uh, proposals getting pushed and passed through uh, even while all this rancor and uh, stupid debates are happening.
0: Yeah, a lot of bipartisan action on some sort of below-the-radar issues this session. Um, And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that death penalty conversation moves forward. I, I do think that for a lot of people the exonerations like you said Jessica it's it's sort of similar to i think the people's awakening perceptions to like police shootings by being able to see some of these situations for themselves i think seeing these stories of exonerations um and people who have in some instances you know were put away for crimes that they didn't commit and would have had no hope otherwise uh without I mean, I don't know this area super well, but I think a lot of it's like DNA evidence, right? That's bringing some Uh of these cases back. Um, So yeah, I think it does give that conversation new ground, and it'll be interesting to see if that moves forward. Um. So let's wrap up with a discussion of some of the bills that I thought were just plain bad. Um, The one that stands out here to me is Senate Bill 106, the Patient's First Act. Uh, this bill has already made it through the process. It's already been signed by Governor Kemp. And what the bill does is it authorizes the governor to apply for two health care waivers, one that would change some policies in the uh, individual health care markets, the Obamacare markets, if you buy insurance, but you don't get it through your employer. Uh, This is a bill that may change some of the protections that are available for you on those health insurance markets. Uh, But the bigger piece of this is the authorization for the governor to apply for a waiver that may result in some expansion of Medicaid coverage. Um, Medicaid expansion, as we've talked about, endlessly on this show has been a big priority of Democrats in the legislature. But throughout the deal administration, and throughout Kemp's discussions on the campaign trail, there has been opposition from Republicans to accepting the ACA's Medicaid expansion. I am frustrated by this bill, though, because this has been pitched as a solution to Healthcare problems in rural Georgia, a Georgia-based solution to living with the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. But when you listen really closely, particularly to Senator Blake Tillery, the governor's floor leader who carried this bill, there actually is very little commitment from either of the governor's floor leaders who I think are safe to assume are speaking for the governor's office, or from the governor's office itself about what they're actually going to do with this waiver, and whether or not it's going to lead to any more people getting access to Medicaid coverage. And so the thing that I'm most frustrated about is the legislature has ceded authority about what is going to happen with this bill, they basically already approved a pair of waivers that they have not seen, and they have no guarantee about what those waivers are going to be. And Governor Kemp just gets to take the authority and, and run with it now. Um, Luke, what did you think of where Democrats landed on this bill, which was ultimately opposing a provision that may lead to a coverage expansion, but that Democrats had a lot of problems with?
3: I think that's really the only place we could be, because it's just blatantly hypocritical in the sense that the legislature uh, back in 2014 took this power away from the governor uh, and at the time had we been doing this show we would have said for blatantly political reasons to prevent a potential governor Jason Carter to uh, from expanding Medicaid and now they have given it back to Brian Kemp for pretty much the same reasons and just completely confirmed that earlier suspicion in the sense that there's pretty pretty few strings attached except the the major one which was you can't just do straight Medicaid expansion
0: Jessica, this conversation around healthcare has focused a lot on rural Georgia and being a lifeline potentially for rural hospitals in the state. How do you think this bill is being received in rural Georgia? And, and what do you think of where this process will go next?
2: I think there's a lot of concern on how you can promise reforms for rural Georgia when the bill is two pages with no specifics. And like you said, no one's offering specifics. When on top of that, Medicaid is one of the things that props up rural hospitals in some regard, but also hurts their bottom line in another regard because of the low reimbursement rates. So, I mean, it's just you can't tell me that a few lines authorizing the governor to use, you know, his discretion and flexibility after talking spending one hundred or one million dollars on a consultant that that is going to lead to reforms for rural Georgia.
0: Yeah, I think the the concern from a lot of healthcare advocates is that those reforms we don't know what they are and and there's a potential that they are not actually going to be helpful. Um but yeah, the the jury is out on that one, so we're we're going to continue to cover that process as it moves forward. The uh, governor will put out a request for a proposal for the consultant that Jessica mentioned. Um, and then ultimately, it is expected that the governor will submit waiver requests to the federal government that are going to make um, significant changes to the state's health, the state's public health care system. Another bill that I had on the bad list was one that we've talked about that's sort of been uh, a done deal for a while. And that is the uh, bill that authorizes the state to buy new voting machines and make some small tweaks to uh, basically the regulations around voting, uh, things about exact match and some of the other policies we've talked about before. Um, This was another one that really came to basically a party line vote. I think there were a few defections from each side. But Jessica, we haven't talked to you about this bill. What were your thoughts on um, this debate around voting machines this session? I'm
2: confused how you don't or how you ignore expert testimony about the security of the machines, and I'm 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 bothered by the maintenance aspect financially more than anything because the appropriations chair in the Senate, Jack Hill, has said that he thinks that the county should share in the costs of that, and I know for a fact that the board of elections in most rural counties cannot afford to even I mean they're barely hanging on, so it's going to be a huge. Um, unfunded mandate for them in the long run.
0: And the last bill that I had on my bad list was the failure of the hate crimes bill. Um, This was a bill that had bipartisan support, uh, but ultimately did not have enough to get across the finish line. It would have been the second time that the state has attempted to pass a hate crime statute. We had one in the early 2000s that was struck down by the state Supreme Court for being too vague. Luke, what do you think about the discussion around hate crimes this legislative session?
3: I mean, I remember us trying to do this for a long time. So the fact that we actually got a bill that passed a chamber is actually a pretty big step. And I'm very happy to see that. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot more work to do, but, you know, be happy about progress where where it is. But um, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, So I actually didn't support that bill. I was not a fan of it. I'm not an increased penalties person, nor am I a protected class person. So I didn't support it, but I think that I I think in the next year or two that it will pass and we won't be one of the five States in the country that doesn't have one.
0: So can you expand for us a little bit on that argument against the bill um, from, from those perspectives that you raised?
2: Sure. So as, a libertarian, I see everyone as equitable under the law. And a crime against a person who has a specific race and a crime against a person who is, there's no race mentioned, the crime is the exact same. And what I, the problem that I had with this bill, as opposed to even more so than particularly like normal, the hate crime legislation that was pr- proposed last year, was that this one was increased penalties for the same crime. So you and I both commit um, assault against a person and mine is a hate crime. They, they decide, you know, before the trial that they're going to pursue increased penalties. We're both tried for the exact same Georgia code section, but I'm eligible for increased penalties. And I just, I, I'm not a fan, but if you're going to do it, I at least think that there should be a different code section and a different crime committed instead of charging and trying two people for the same, or, you know, not two people, but people under the same code section for different penalties.
3: Though so my response to that argument is, like, there's a difference between if you accidentally kill someone or if you do some, you know, if you kill someone on purpose, those are two different crimes. And so the intent of the crime is different, and, you know, in the sense that, like, if you beat someone up because, like, you know, they, they, like, insulted you because you like have a bad haircut versus because you're black or because of something you said, like, I feel like that is a different crime of a different nature. But, uh, you know, people can disagree.
0: So let's wrap with just some some closing general thoughts on legislative session. This is the first legislative session with Governor Kemp. As we've talked about it, it seemed a little more chaotic and disorganized. There were two significant new power centers this legislative session. You have, not only do you have the new governor and Brian Kemp, but you also have new lieutenant governor and Jeff Duncan. And I know when we discussed what the dynamic would be during the election, what the dynamic would be after was that Speaker Ralston would really be the ultimate decider in this legislative session. But I I feel like that that ultimately really didn't come to pass Particularly when you look at the abortion bill, um, it was Governor Kemp and Lieutenant Governor Duncan that came out in support of this bill before Speaker Ralston did. And if you were paying attention before session, Speaker Ralston was really raising red flags about bills like these uh, because he was worried about his members in swing districts having to take votes on these things. Um, But what were just some of your general thoughts, Jessica, on what you saw transpire over the last 40 days?
2: I would agree that there was so much chaos. It was it was not organized. It was not streamlined. It was not, um, nothing was prepared ahead of time, and especially in the House. I mean, 10 minutes before the days were convening, they were setting rules calendars, which I just think is poor form for the public and for the members who have to vote on those bills. I think there was a substantial a substantially higher number of bills that were filed this year. I think they almost reached a thousand, um, not including non-binding resolutions. And I, I feel like that's very high. So we have, I think we have a lot of new people who have a lot of new ideas and I'm not sure that that's a good thing, but I guess we'll find out again next session. I think, Ralston, to your point about him being the decider, I think you're right about Kemp and Duncan taking public positions, which they kind of vowed to do. But I also think there's something to be said for his scandal that happened in the beginning of session that kind of had to keep him in a box. And so he didn't necessarily take some of the swings or blocking (laughs) positions that he would have had that not happened.
0: Yeah, I did not anticipate, you know, that issue becoming a big one. This, I mean, we didn't know about it beforehand, so it was a surprise when it came up to me. Um, but yeah, I do think it kind of boxed him in a little bit. And, you know, there, I mean, there were, what, maybe a dozen Republicans who who openly called for him to resign early in this session. If if you had told me last year that there was going to be a group of Republicans, even a small one, demanding that the Speaker of the House resign, like I wouldn't have seen that coming. So I, I do think that that uh, probably did have an impact. Like you were saying, look, what you want to close this out here.
3: Yeah, I think it is quite clear after watching this session that we are in a new era. Uh, I agree with Jessica that this was a incredibly disorganized session. And I would, I would go as far as to say it's the most disorganized one I've seen. And I, I, I'm just curious if that is the new normal or if this is growing pains. Because I think it's really like you can't underestimate the. I agree with her in the sense that like Ralston was kind of had to take a back seat because of all of his scandals. So that means, you know, in the House, you have a new rules chair because Chairman Meadows passed away. The Senate's led by Duncan and the governor is Kemp. And this is just a completely new team and they, they very much seemed like they were, you know, stabbing in the dark about how to handle things. Cause at least previous sessions, I kind of felt like at the beginning of session, we had a pretty good sense of what the issues were going to be like, what the really contentious bills were going to be, what fights we were going to have and like, what like positive things were going to go on. Whereas this session, I kind of feel like we had several bills and we talked about all of them in this show that, kind of came out of nowhere, or there wasn't a whole lot of, like, background building on it before they went forward, so I would put the, like, school voucher bill and the um, election machine bill in this bucket of just, like, you were saying kind of, like, and Jessica on both these, like, no one cared about the data, nobody cared about if this was a good idea or not, no one cared about anything, but is this what my political side would like to do, yes or no, and you know, doing it, uh, based on, or not, or being against it based on that. And I just hope this is not, you know, entering us into a post fact Georgia government, but based on what I saw this session, I'm, I'm pretty worried about that possibility.
0: Yeah. I'm a little worried about that too. And I'm a little worried about the business community. I mean, I know there are some conservatives who don't like the sway that the business community can have, but I do feel like at times it had kind of a moderating impulse that, a little bit like you said, Luke, it, it did pull legislators back into, well, what is the concrete impact of this bill going to be if it passes? And if you lose the business community as that moderating force, that grounding force a little bit, um, then I do think we could end up in a place that is a little more similar to. Uh, some states like Kansas or North Carolina that have had uh, legislators that far too often in progressive's, eye, in progressives eyes have made bad headlines for their state's residents.
3: Also, Jessica, it's great to uh, actually be on the show with you for once because I've gotten to listen to you many times and have thoroughly enjoyed having you on but haven't actually got to be with you. So ha- happy to have be here.
2: Oh, I'm excited to be back with y'all. It was great.
0: Well, on that note, uh, let's wrap it up for the week and for our session coverage. um, It has been fun. It's been another crazy session for us to watch. It is, uh, Luke, is this our third? I think this is our third session on the podcast.
3: Yeah, we started in 2016, July 2016. Yeah, so
0: 2017, 2018, and now 2019. We've spent with you listeners covering... The 40 Days of Insanity in Atlanta. Um, But for that, we are going to leave that there. Um, So Luke and Jessica, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Megan, thank you uh, for joining also. And we will talk to you guys again soon.
3: Bye, guys. Bye.
0: That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. Until then, take care, y'all. Bye.